Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today I'm joined by Transfix's Senior Director of Freight Market Intelligence, Paul Pozemski, and new to the podcast, we welcome Alex Gallardo. Alex is the Logistics Lead of Freight and Land Transportation at Chevron, having spent 19 years at the company, a champion of sustainability, and famous for his hashtag Freight Friday posts on LinkedIn. Both are here to take on the current state of freight, and there is a lot to get through today. But first, welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. All right. Absolutely. So let's get into it. We are zeroing in on Q3. So we're right at the heels of ending the quarter. And while the trucking industry usually anticipates a more volatile market at this time of year with hurricane season, Labor Day weekend, and the start of peak holiday season, all usually bringing sort of a tighter market. But key factors like inflation rate and conservative consumer spend has changed the trajectory of this year's freight market. So, Paul, I'll throw this to you. What's on your radar for the state of freight in Q3, and how do you think we'll close the quarter out? So, very interesting question, and if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have given you a very different answer to this. So, the beginning of Q1, as we've uh, um, mentioned before, we've discussed about it before, was actually fairly encouraging. June saw some positive uh, seasonal trends, and even uh, July, as the uh, produce season was drawing to an end, still saw some good uh, signs of consolidation, both microeconomic and in our industry. Well, uh, over particularly the second part of August, things have become more uncertain, meaning that the green shots that we were pointing out to in our last update are withering. Some are related to our industry, some are macroeconomic in kind. So if you want me to give you a, a, a sample of both. I can start by the macroeconomic front. Uh, basically, we had a couple of months of good news uh, in inflation, mostly. Inflation is coming down hard, including core inflation. Well, this month we got a bit of a surprise where core inflation continued to go down, down marginally, but it was higher than expected. That actually froze another uh, big indicator into the Fed's uh, a dashboard uh, because the current consensus is that the Fed is done raising rates. So they will keep rates uh, stable for a while. That being said, if inflation is picking up again, core inflation is now, uh, 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 this month has gone higher than expected at 0.3 against the expected 0.2. Fuel prices are going higher and the economy is starting to uh, uh, weep again. Whether this is because the, the, the job market is starting to weakening. We had the non-farm payrolls, which were good, but uh, the unemployment rate picked up significantly at 3.8%. We start to see delinquencies in credit cards, uh, auto loans that are picking up significantly as well. So the month of August, the end of August, it's, it's kind of throwing a doubt uh, on the macro perspective and also for our industry. Um, some of the green shots that we saw at the beginning of the quarter are less certain now. And if you look at our performance, the transportation industry performance in the financial markets, whereas, for instance, in June, we outperformed the S&P 500 by 3%. In, in July, we underperformed, uh, sorry, in July, we uh, outperformed. In August, we underperformed by 8%. So some of the good news are now thrown under under the bus uh, and everything is back to the uncertain states 
that we had in May and April at the, at the end of the previous quarter. Yeah, Alex, I'd love to hear what you think about what's top of mind for you. And, and are there key trends that you're taking, uh, you know, you're keeping a close eye on? Yeah, so I, I was talking to you earlier about how different the oil and gas industry, you know, plays with, you know, traditional consumer packaged goods, right? And, uh, you know, our industry in the last year or so has been experiencing high commodity prices, which means that we're, there's a lot of activity, especially out in West Texas. So there's a lot of trucks moving, uh, moving material, moving bulk water. So um, we haven't, we haven't experienced uh you know, any downturn in activity, right? So obviously you're seeing now that diesel prices are up. That means that oil prices are up. So that means that oil and gas companies are are producing more, right? So we have the, the same problem, but uh, even worse, uh, attracting, you know, drivers in niche areas like out in West Texas, right? Um, right. And I think at a time like this, where other carriers may be slowing down, we're attracting some of those drivers that want some of that higher rate, right? And there could and there could be a time now that, you know, if commodity prices do drop pretty quickly, then the reverse can happen. Right. Some of that activity will slow down and then those drivers may may want to go back to the Amazons or the Walmarts. Right. So. Right. Um, but yeah. But right now, a super attractive market for, yes. for carriers. Yes. It's interesting because you, we've been talking a lot throughout the year about you know, sort of this carrier purge and and whether or not it exists, it doesn't exist. And it's funny because on FreightWaves the other day, there was an article that mentioned that it does not exist. But Paul, for you, I know that you have been talking about this impending carrier purge that we would see at around this time and at the end of Q3, at the end of, uh, you know, start of Q4, that I think, Alex, you're, you're likely starting to see the advantages of that. But Paul, do you want to give us a little bit of a um, an update on what we are currently seeing now or what trends you're starting to see in that area. And then Alex, I'd love for you to respond to that. So um, first, uh, Alex is highlighting a very important point. The point being that the national trends uh, matter far less nowadays. When the market was going unidirectionally higher or lower, then all, all regions were moving similarly now you have big big discrepancies and big variability between the trends and alex is sitting in an area that has very very high uh, potential right um, um me and you jenny talk about mexico uh you know uh, a, a couple of months ago and you remember people were quite doubtful whether Mexico would pick up a lot of uh um uh, traffic in the short term well i, I don't know if you guys saw uh a couple of days ago, it was in a financial uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Mexico is now the biggest trade counterparty for the U.S. is not China anymore. So basically, what it means is that the southern part of the country benefits tremendously from that from from uh, um, that economic boom um, uh, across the board. Whether this is you know oil and gas, but also the produce season that we saw uh, this year, and also all the nearshoring industrial heavy industrial investments that are happening there. so in a way when we thinking forward about how the trucking industry will be in three months or six months it won't be the same picture for the south or you know the northeast <laughs> uh, so carrier purchase already kind of started but it has started under a shape that we're not used to so if you look for instance goldman sachs is publishing every month uh trucking employment and in June, for the first time in God knows how long, very long years, 
we lost almost a three thousand jobs truckers jobs drivers jobs specifically because sometimes the, the numbers get aggregated with warehousing and so on and so forth so we lost three thousand uh, trucking jobs to give you some perspective over the previous year we won about twenty thousand. so we're still you know capacity is plenty but three thousand is significant you know in that in, in within that framework now we gain almost the same number the following month but still it's showing that the industry it's actually very likely to have those purges you know on, on, on um uh, you know a big adjustment in a short uh, amount of time it happened in june it might happen in uh, august and september uh, it was only interrupted by normal seasonal trends where a lot of truckers they have parked their trailer their, their, their trucks are now coming back to the market but the trend has started and i think we will continue to see those sudden adjustments going forward even if they do not have the traditional kind of shape where you know you have linear loss every month by a thousand or fifteen hundred um so they are not seeing a huge adjustment on aggregate just yet but the trend, in my opinion, has mostly started. Yep, and I think I think for us, um, the same line, right? I think we're seeing the same economic trend, that data trending. Uh, so you you do see drill, uh, you know, um, drilling starting to uh, plans with you know less drilling, right? So we're starting in line with that starting to purge our carriers right so we have a long list of carriers and we're saying hey based on our 2024 projections who are the the ones that are um, on the top of the routing guide based on load acceptance and pricing and safety and doing that rationalization already um so making that list a little shorter and making sure we have even stronger relationships for that and we're allowed to do that with more data right and and technology is allow, allowing us to do that when before we were kind of blind like hey who's the good yeah. carrier we didn't know uh, yeah. but not but, but now we do know hey this guy's picking up 90 90 percent of my loads right and he's willing to even grow his business if we tell him and give him some future demand planning and stuff so technology is helping us in that aspect but we're definitely also purging even in in an environment with high commodity prices because we're also seeing that economic data trend that there, there will be a slowdown right so yeah. a slowdown in our activity is going to likely have an impact on commodity prices at some point right so. and so this is an important point with with regards to relationships because we talked about this on a couple of uh state of freight episodes before where drivers have I think rightfully so have moved away from this behavior of only looking at spot market and really trying to, you know, drive, drive, uh, pick the highest rate there where they're not necessarily worried about the relationships that they're building with their shippers. And so you bring up this important point where you're looking at who are the shippers, who are the carriers, the drivers that are, have the best OT, OTD, OTP, right? Have, you know, even care about building those relationships over time is that the trend that you're starting to see now where those spot drivers are now really asking for more consistent contract opportunities yeah, yeah. i mean for us definitely right some yeah. of them are like i don't want to pick up your load even if it's if it's a one-time load and i'm getting 20 percent more i if i'm getting a great price and i'm and i have steady business with you they'd rather have that partnership right and Absolutely. keep their drivers busy all year long and not have to bring drivers on and off right and and for us and specifically again in west texas these are very niche companies and small 
smaller trucking companies, you know, two or three trucks at in some of them, right? Sure. Um, and it's moving frack water and back trucks. So it's not a very common uh, truck type, right? Right. It's not a dry van or a flatbed truck, right? So. Yeah. Yep. I, sorry, I you you're getting my wheels turning because I'm so mm -hmm. curious about all these different things. But uh, is the Panama Canal affecting Chevron in any way, or you know the the sort of back backlog of vessels that are happening there? Yeah. So if you think about you know the Panama Canal is a big trading lane for product like crude oil, right? So we trade mm -hmm. as a company, Chevron and all other companies trade uh, oil that is traded moves on the canal. So yeah, it's having an impact. But, but there's also opportunities, right? You, you yeah. kind of leverage the spot market and you can buy somewhere else. So definitely from a supply and trading, it, it's impacting. And then from from a pure like material resupply, there are ships or shipments that we found out that are going through the Panama Canal that we're mm. having to make decisions on like, hey, do we reroute that? Do we go back to the West Coast that we had avoided for right. so long, right? To avoid the canal. So all of a sudden we're finding ourselves making these decisions to go back to kind of like, ooh, west coast no now it's like yeah west coast yes yeah <laughs> um, yeah they yeah. might bring a gold rush there it's interesting because yeah. it, it has been a bit of a dead area yeah and then similarly to the panama canal is the drought issues in the mississippi river right so the mississippi right. is big on petrochemical and agricultural right so mm. it, you know the food industry and, and our industry in general um is impacted because of the low water levels and, and the yeah. drought conditions there as well yeah. And it's important to note, this is just Q3. Q4 is a, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen in Q4. And I'm always bothering Paul asking, so tell me what the future holds. Tell me what the future holds. And that's what I'm going to do right now. Because according to the Adobe Analytics data, customers spend approximately uh, $6.4 on the first day of Prime Day. They spend that, that much, nearly 6% more than last year. Why that's important is because that's the single that single day represents the biggest e-commerce day so far in 2023. And then also important to note is that research from McKinsey showed that for the first time in two years, spending in June of 2023 declined across the board. And I'm obsessed with con consumer spend. I, I every single month I'm always looking at the numbers. So Paul, for you, what are some early indicators that you're looking at to determine what Q4 will bring for the supply chain this year? So one the, one of the earliest indicators are people like Alex, because he mentioned something very important, is how they actually plan ahead of 2024, right? So um, most of our uh, shippers are already uh, preempting what's going to happen in Q4 and at the beginning of the year. And whilst there are some good news in the market out there, overall, I think there are still a lot of dark clouds. As you pointed out, we had an unprecedented prime date, but at the same time, consumption, it's, it's, it's leveling out. More importantly, if you look at the share, for instance, because we've been talking for months about debt, if you look at the share of debt payments in uh, disposable income in the US, it has doubled since 2021. Right. More importantly, if you look at the shape of that curve, it's truly worrying because it's going straight to the sky. So every single month that that continues to grow exponentially now, sooner or later. And remember, we have not faced student loans just yet. So this is primarily driven, as I pointed out, by um, credit card and auto loans. There is another wall of debt that's 
gonna come upon the problem in the next few months. So irrespective of the financial markets are predicting, and I know that over the last kind of couple of months, the odds for a recession have been receding. Whether this is the American Banking Association that's now only pricing a recession in 2024 to about, I don't know, 48%, or the New York Fed that's running a model, you know, a rate model uh, that's seeing it at about 60 something percent. So despite the fact that those odds overall are diminishing due to some good news on the inflation front, employment front, and so on and so forth, the, the most of our uh, uh, shippers, most of our, the people that we work with are still considering that a recession is at least likely, if not highly probable. And the, the consumption patterns seems to seem to be going exactly in the same direction. So more likely than not, we will face something that is either a slow, significant slowdown or outright recession in 2024. And because of that, my view remains that we are still going to be in a soft market, soft-ish yep. market for the foreseeable future. Now that can many things can change that state of affairs, including how quickly in our industry, in the trucking industry, you know, supply converges, converges towards uh, demand. But let's face it, right now we are sitting on supply that is on par with the top of the COVID market. We are oversupplied on any historical uh, uh, metric with a demand that's probably about half. Should even demand marginally pick up sometimes in Q1, 2024, on Q2, there is a long way to go towards convergence. So my view for Q4 and Q1, 2024, is that we might still see rates bounce here and there as a lot of operators are, uh, you know, uh, uh, working on negative margins. So there is no much, you know, uh, uh, caution on the downside. Um, but uh, probably the weakness will persist at least a couple of quarters. Now, you know, I'd love for us to, I think, Alex, for you, this is going to be a fun one. I'd love to fuel some expectations here, uh, pun intended. So now, you know, Paul, you noted earlier uh, earlier in July, on, and I quote, on one hand, the RBOB futures market is technically building upside momentum, supported by the OPEC talk, and better than expected U.S. data. And on the other hand, consumers and companies alike are facing a bleaker environment into the year end, end quote. Now, earlier this month, crude oil settled above $90 for the first time this year and in August. So, Paul, can you help us shed some light on um, what things will look like now and how you think or predict or bet, however you want to take that, uh, things could pan out through the remainder of the year. And Alex, I would love to hear your response on that prediction. <laughs> so an there are a couple of interesting points to be made here. First and foremost is that the oil prices are primarily driven by something that has little to do with the economy. It is true that the U.S. economy has been more resilient than forecasted. You know, the GDP numbers beat expectations. And because of that, the fuel demand overall has been revised higher. So there is a demand factor there. Demand is stronger than expected in the US. If you account for what's happening in China, where demand is actually consistently falling and the economic uh, picture is deteriorating constantly, on balance, I would not say that the demand for energy has been skyrocketing. So 
there have been some macroeconomic factors that justify oil prices, but the main driver for oil prices is the policy of OPEC plus and primarily Saudi Arabia and Russia who have been opportunistically and smartly defended their interest by cutting production at key points in time, right? So with this in mind, the question is that for how long can they run the market the way they are? My guess is that it will only happen as long as the, at least in the US, the economy is still balanced or, you know, shifting towards the positive side. My guess, and again, Alex might correct me uh, and please really push back. My guess is that already the oil companies are seeing the end of that. They probably think, okay, we had a good run. Now this is likely to change in 2024. And I would trust their judgment far more than I would trust my predictions. So I'll let Alice respond to that. Yeah, so I, I think you're spot on, right? So if you hear our CEO talk on, you know, w when he's on the news channels, right? He, he talks about Chevron um, operating in an, an environment, you know, lower for longer or, you know, making money at in any cost environment, right? So we know already that that these high commodity prices are likely not going to be sustainable, right? And and although, yeah, OPEC Plus does, you know, have a lot of influence, you're right. If economic activity starts to slow down and inventory starts to pile up, they're definitely going to throttle, that, that price will come down because, you know, you can't keep all that inventory, you know, so that's what's going to drive that, right? So, um, yeah, I don't think it's sustainable anything over a hundred dollars for a long period, right? We we had that period and we enjoyed it, um, but but definitely not sustainable. And and based on the economic data, I'm I'm aligned with your thinking on that, right? My latest podcast was is the is the Grinch coming for for the peak holiday shipping season, right? So all the discussions that we had already, whether it's the Panama Canal, whether yeah. you whether it's the Mississippi, whether you have a, you know, there's also a lot of labor disputes that. We've averted some in the U.S. They exist internationally still in a lot of locations. So, um, and then the the Russia-Ukraine conflict further exasperates, you know, what commodity prices could do, right? Um, so it, it's it's kind of hard to predict, right? And in, in, in the past, we 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 had all these numbers, and we there was always a pattern, and now sometimes we're wrong about it, right? So, yeah, yeah, it is undoubtedly, you know, well, let me take that word back. Q4 is slated to be what we think will be more of a depressed holiday peak holiday season comparatively to you know even pre-pandemic uh levels which is just i think a testament to the fact that the industry is changing right and there those patterns that we were normally able to kind of be able to use where i could say paul what do you think about this you know what about q4 this year it's it's gone those those days are gone and i think you know while we're on that subject I would love to hear from both of you. How do you think that shippers should really be preparing for Q4 and beyond, especially as the industry is now changing and, and no longer the same that, that they've expected for decades at this point? Yeah, I think I think for us, what we're doing is just making sure that we remain resilient, right? And yeah. by being resilient is that we have strong relationships with, with our carriers um, and that we look at, you know, we, we go away from commoditizing freight rates into, you know, we're not buying widgets, right? This is a service that we're buying. And I don't care if I have great rates on paper, if they're not showing up, um, you know, to 
you know, to a well site, it's going to cause me non non production time, non productive time, right? So, kind of kind of re looking at that and taking away that old procurement mindset um, on on the freight side, right? So that that's definitely what we're doing, and 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 a plan B is not sufficient, right? You need to have a plan C and D, um, and, and go deep in your supply chain um, to your subs and your your further subs. So it's it's a little bit more, uh, yeah. A lot a more planning than than you yeah, used to, right? Exactly, a little deeper in the supply chain that you used to, yeah. Absolutely, Paul. What say you? So, for the purpose of the conversation, this is not going to be very exciting because we agree on on basically <laughs> everything so far. But I think uh, Alex pointed out to the uh, three of the most important things for shippers and for us to account for as well. One, as he pointed out, is technology the ability to look into the future because obviously we, we face a market that is highly dynamic that is now more or less directionless or highly volatile uh, and therefore you know having scenarios and plans as he pointed out is extremely important you know this is why for instance uh, jenny we we are building scenario based analysis because shippers don't really care to know that we think rates are going to up 10% or a fuel go down 5%. Uh, they can form the opinions themselves. What they care about is to for us to formulate what this implies in terms of you know consequences on the capacity, on the long-term rates, on the service, and so on. So first, technology is very important for that. Predi predictive power is now uh, the name of the game. Second, Alex also pointed out quality of the service. Because ultimately we are, the supply chain is just an input into the bigger picture for most of, of our partners, right? So the, uh, the potential loss of a service or a product that they could distribute, it's much higher than paying marginally less, uh, the gain from paying, let's say, 5% less on a loan, right? So service becomes extremely important as we see things become more volatile. Because as things become more volatile, the potential for error is becoming higher. Misloads, fraud, and everything else, right? And we see that every day. Um, and um, I, I believe the third one, it's an obvious one, is the partnership, right? Because as the industry become more stressed, you need to have some form of reliability on who you work with. Uh, any adjustment in a very volatile market comes at a very high cost. So building those relationships means ultimately that you are more likely to be able to rely on a consistent service when you need it the most. So again, sorry for not bringing anything new uh, or or taking a different uh, perspective, but that I, I think is it's spot on. Yeah, no. yeah go ahead. I was going to say the perspective no. is a strong one, but Alex, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think another thing that, you know, and the reason why Jenny and I got connected is, you know, a, a lot of times we don't even get together across industry verticals to see how the impacts of our different businesses have on each other, right? Because I've had, I, I've seen podcasts talk about flatbed, um, you know, movement, and then they mention sometimes, oh, the oil and gas sector is up, so a lot of flatbed is going there, but I don't hear a, a lot of that. So I think getting more industry verticals together, uh, kind of talking together and collaborating would, would mm -hmm would improve that partnership, not only for us as shippers, but uh, and in the carrier community, right? So they can understand, hey, is there a way to move people around and, uh, you know, a little for 
further than just like like you say talk we're we're drowning in this data but we're we're starving for insights right so what are the insights that we can gain from that data and make good decisions you know with shippers and with carriers if that makes any sense right you know i don't see any shippers out there you know uh funding a vocational school for drivers right we know there's a driver shortage and we we hear it all the time i'm sure there's something out there but we don't showcase that enough or or having enough we we have similar issues with craft labor welders and and other skilled laborers that we need at our facilities right and right. and we talk about the shortage but what are we doing about it right so right anyway and that's an important conversation to have, not just with shippers. I think it's important to also have your top carriers in on the conversation and asking mm. what, how can we help you? You know, I think a lot, especially over the last three years has been pr proven to be quite difficult for, especially in the last year in, it, in and of itself for carriers where they are trying different methods of, you know, it's usually within the spot market. But at this point, if you don't have that partnership from a shipper ca to carrier perspective, the likelihood of staying resilient, I think, becomes, you know, less and less because you you have to rely on your top carriers to get your, your freight moving at the most optimal level. Yep. For you, Alex, we certainly by by no means, I think, uh, are close to the year, but it's it's no doubt we've had a fairly uneventful year, unfortunately. So I would love to know what big bets are both of you taking on Q4 and even where the freight markets will be in 2024. It feels like an unfair question to ask this early on, but if there's anything that that stands out, please let me know. I think, you know, just in general, forget about the data that I'm seeing, just soft signals. I get calls from carriers every day, mm. calls and emails. So that shows me already that their capacity or that they either have capacity today or they're projecting that they will have capacity, right? So that's already signal signaling for me and for my community. I'm saying, hey, look, it's probably time and, and some of our business units are already doing this, maybe go out to market and, you know, relook at rates. We're, you know, um, relooking at some of our routing guide and seeing how we can you know, not purge, but maybe consolidate some of it sure. um, and give some more carriers more, more business and uh, et cetera. So uh, I feel that it'll be, you know, other than the international constraints that we see, like with the Panama Canal and stuff, I don't, I think domestically we will be able to, fulfill our orders and not have a, a, a real challenge in the trucking space, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just from what I'm seeing in, in the less drilling activity that we're projecting, I think we've been able to manage with our carriers and I think we will until the end of the year. And it's probably going to be a tad softer next year, as, as most people are saying, but um, I think other things are going to be driving up ra rates like insurance and, uh, and stuff like that. So I don't think we're going to see a huge downturn in rates more yeah. just kind of the same right so yeah. uh, that's what i'm kind of predicting but i could be wrong <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll find we'll invite you on and find out in, in two quarters paul what about you so this is going to be the most uneventful uh, conversation <laughs> that you're going to have on record so I, i'm going to uh, add some context to uh to alex's description so Basically, for June and July, as I mentioned, we had a lot of indicators in the trucking industry that were moving towards the green, right? Towards. They're all green shots, but they're all consistent green shots. In August, this changed dramatically. Dramatically. So if you look, for instance, you know, there is the Morgan Stanley uh, track load indicator. Um, now it is uh, both the supply and demand aspects of it are underperforming. Hmm. Even even for, uh, for instance, the Bank of America, which has a bi-weekly tracking demand indicator, that's still up 
above 50 after being down, uh, you know, in recessionary territory for almost, you know, for many, many months. Now, the outlook, the improvement in the outlook doesn't come from uh, uh, tracking companies becoming positive. It's from moving to neutral outlook. What I mean by this is we are seeing some normalization, but whereas before we thought this might be the start for a change in the industry trend, we just realized that we are returning to normal seasonality, right? So whereas in last year, you know, for most of, you know, the, the end of the last year and the beginning of this year, rates demand all dropped off the cliff. Now we start to see signs of life, but it's no different to 2019. We are returning to 2019, and this is seen as progress. And because it is marginal progress, it gives the impression that maybe things are not so bad. But I remind people that 2019 was not a good year, was actually a bad year for tracking. So yes, we stopped falling, but we are not finding yet any positive, significant, long-term sustainable trend. So uh, for now, I think that Alex's um, um, view, it's very accurate. We're not going to see uh, a, a capacity uh, become scarce. Uh, we are not going to see a pickup in demand that's significant enough to change much. There will be seasonal bounces and, and drops after the seasonal bounces, as we've seen for Labor Day, for instance, and possibly nothing more. Now, the only thing, because I need to find an angle, <laughs> uh, the only thing that where maybe there is some hope is the regional dislocation. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, as we mentioned, you know, West Texas is actually a good market for trucking right now. Uh, there are other good markets for trucking. Um, uh, Midwest is starting to pick up a little bit because it's been so devastated by the previous cycle. Northeast for, for seasonal reasons and so on and so forth. But I say even irrespective of seasonality, there might be areas or regions that are not going to, to follow the national trend at all. And the southern part of the country might be one of them. There is a, a, a significant wealth dislocation, an economic dislocation. People are leaving New York and California, the Northeast in general. And uh, I think we had this conversation, Jenny, in the past. For the first time, I don't know, maybe since the Civil War, the Southern states way more in the US GDP than the Northeast, yeah. right? This is a very strong trend that compounds with you know higher energy prices you know with Texas but also with the 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 trade with Mexico this is not a minor thing people are only realizing what near shoring means when a, a lot of the uh, um, production chains will need to mo uh, be moved out of Asia and primarily China yeah. so there might be uh, the trucking spring might be behind the corner but maybe only for a subset of regions and particularly the south and part of the west alex now being in the industry for nearly 20 years i have to ask you what's been the most surprising change that you've seen either in this year alone or over you know over the past 
three years with the pandemic? So I think for us as a we're a shipper and the logistics function in general has received a lot more attention than it ever had in the company, right? So logistics as a number was a rounding error. It wasn't really important. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, now we're a critical player at every important meeting, whether it's the investor relations report or any type of update that has to be provided to senior levels. Now, you know, logistics has a seat at the table and it has gained the importance. So what we've done is leverage that that attention to say, hey, this is what we can do to further improve our resiliency, right? Let's let's invest more in technology. Uh, so so we, we're doing that, right? And I think there it's been three plus years and we still have that attention. So I think that's not going to go away. So I think that's that's a very positive thing um, that I've seen. I think, you know, when I started doing this 20 years ago, you know, I remember, you know, the reliability that you would that you're used to experiencing like three days sailing from, you know, I'm talking about international now, but like I can send a container on Saturday from, from, from Florida and it arrives in Central America by Wednesday. It was like very repeatable. Those things are gone today, right? Now it's more like, oh, it's three to five days because you never know what, what happens, right? So right. That, that unpredictability has changed a little bit of the mindset and, and especially for a company like ours, you know, we, we do a certain level of manufacturing where we have to change our lead times for, not, not only the lead time for shipping it, but now also the lead time for actually getting the item because that supplier also has a longer lead time. The raw mm -hmm. materials come from somewhere else where there's a longer lead time. So um, we're having to re-engineer a lot of that stuff, especially for, for uh, you know uh, inventory items, right? Uh, so those are two things, but I think the most positive one is that, right? The, the attention that the logistics function has received uh, in the company. And I, that's a common theme from a lot of shippers that I talk to. I mean, we're even making front page of the Wall Street Journal yeah, and the New yeah. York Times. So it's obviously, you know, I think what was once not a sexy industry has now yeah. become very sexy and very critical, although it was always critical and sexy. Yeah, but yeah, to, to Paul's point too, right? It's like now they're looking at that data, right? They're like, oh, I see trucking's going down, right? And now the challenge I have is I'm like, oh, great. You're looking at this data. Now I have to go back and normalize everything for you because all the geography is very different. So yeah. now I'm now I'm like, I'm wishing this data is more granular because now it's the national average is no good anymore. Right. I need to know what's going on in West Texas. I need to, you know, Paul talked about all these different regions. Yeah, it would be great if that that became even more granular. But I, on a on the positive side, yeah, they're, they're looking at this data now and they weren't looking at it before. So it's, yeah, you know, and the same thing with container rates, the recovery of those container rates hasn't been the same across all regions. Yeah. Asia to US has gone down significantly. But if you if you're in Europe or other parts of the world, those rates are still relatively high and they, they haven't gone down precipita precipitously as 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 they did for others, right? So yeah, a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> a lot of explaining, you know, and we joke that this was an uneventful conversation, but it actually was quite eventful. And the last three years have been nothing short of that as well. So um, before we go, Alex, you mentioned that you have a podcast. I've been digging and digging. You've got to tell me about it. When, when, give us the name, give us the details. Where can we hear it? So the podcast is just internal to us here at Chevron. Uh, but okay. Yeah. So okay. I call it, I call it the Freight Minute Podcast. So I do it in one minute. Okay. So I just take a weekly topic. So the reason I keep it fresh is like whatever's going on in the news that is, is of importance, like Panama Canal was a subject. Uh, this week's subject is the rise in diesel, 
diesel prices and right. and and letting people know how you know demystifying the fuel surcharge because a lot of people are like how do you calculate that what is that you know so i'm going to do that podcast and, and i just do it one minute because people if they see a five minute one they're like they don't listen to it right? so i know <laughs> uh, so I, I do it in one minute i have a slider too and i just like record it on my powerpoint my face is on the bottom right hand and it's a a, a minute video i have to admit it's like a minute and 20 seconds <laughs> If, 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 if I record it and it's one minute and 31, I'm like, no, this is no good. It has to be like 1.29 so it can stay in the average of a minute. Um, so yeah, it, it's I've done like seven episodes already. So I've, I've, I've committed to do this once a week. So okay. I, I, have, I haven't failed a week, but I'm gonna, I will fail the next two weeks because I'll be on vacation. So yeah. Well, well-deserved. <laughs> and if you ever bring that publicly, please <laughs> let us know so we can promote it. And I think that's, that's something that the industry can greatly benefit from. Um, gentlemen, this has been one of my favorite conversations today. Thank you so much for joining me, Alex. Uh, you are more than welcome to come back at any point in time. I will be inviting you in the next two quarters to see how we did. And if we need to have some arguments and air it out, let's do it. Paul, as always, thank you so much for your expertise and such a great conversation today. And we will see you next time with an all new episode of the Transfix Take On. Thanks, Jenny. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.